Eight years and younger for Kids Corner this morning. Is there only one, two? How bad y'all want to go? Go. They're biting at the bit. I couldn't stand it no more. Amen. Amen. We'll make that rule next time. I'm such a, I'm such a softy. Isn't that horrible? Wow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you ever said or has anybody ever asked you, are you serious? Have anybody ever asked you this? Are you serious? Anybody ever said, you can't be serious? I'm going to tell you some things this morning that in the church life you can be absolutely sure of. You can be absolutely sure that not everyone is going to agree on everything. You can be sure of that. You can be absolutely sure that some folks are going to fall asleep in every service. You can be absolutely sure that your preacher will rarely look at his watch during his sermon. You can be absolutely sure that some point in the message there will be a call for you to serve your church at one point or another. But why serve? Why serve in the church? Why the constant call for people, for members to serve in the church? Before I even get going good, I want to share four quick reasons with you. Why the constant call for people to serve? One, because the Bible makes it clear that you are saved to serve. Say that with me. You are saved to serve. You're saved to serve God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Word of God tells us, For it is by grace that you are saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, get this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's clear that we're saved to serve. But it's also clear that that's exactly how the body of Christ works. That's why we're always calling For people to serve in the church. Every member ought to be serving according to his or her gifts so that the entire body will be healthy, strong, and effective for the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the New Living Translation tells us that the spiritual gift is given to every Christian as a means of helping the entire church. That's how the body of Christ works. Why the constant call for us to serve? Well, there's a third reason. Because there is great joy in serving God. The happiest, most fulfilled people on earth are the ones who know what God wants them to do, and they're doing it. Now, I don't know God's plan for your life, 
But this one thing I do know, and that is you will never be completely happy until you have sought and found how you're supposed to be serving God. Why the constant call for people to serve? Because you're saved to serve. Because that's how the body of Christ works. And because there's great joy in serving God. But there's a fourth reason. And that is, when we as Christians begin to realize all that Christ has done for us, then our gratitude will drive us to have a deep, genuine desire to serve Him who gave His all for you. It's so important that every, say every, that every single member of the body of Christ serve Him with all of our heart, and with all of our life. That means that everybody, everybody who has placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for their salvation should be actively and diligently serving Him in some capacity. And as Lewis Timberlake said, there are no little jobs in the kingdom of God. Every job is equally important. Now, if you and I are going to accept God's call to serve Him seriously, there's four principles of service that you need to know about. Four principles of service that we need to know and apply in our lives. But first, let's see what the Word of God says about serving. Now, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14, the uh, successor... Of Moses, Joshua uh, has a great deal to say about service. Now, as I read these scriptures, every time that you hear the word serve, I want you to repeat it out loud. So let's start. Serve. serve. No. Serve. serve. That's much better. Okay, here we go. Ready? Chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we, want, that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. As the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelled in the land, so we will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And so the people of God said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve 
him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And God's people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And then Joshua wrote these words into the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak which was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness for us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Let us pray. Lord, you have heard your people repeatedly say, Serve. Can we really be saved if we're not serving? Service certainly is the the picture and the evidence that we are saved. Lord, help us to get that through our head today and to deeply serve you with all of our heart. Not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. The four principles of service that you need to be aware of, in order to serve God seriously, you must first keep God in his rightful place. Did you notice what Joshua said at the very beginning of verse 14? He said, now therefore, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Joshua knew, as all of us know, that all people serve something. All people serve someone. It'll either be the false gods of this world, or it'll be the one true living God of heaven. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Joshua called the people to fear the Lord, not to be scared of him, but to have a healthy fear of God, to honor him, to be in awe of him as they began to consider all that God had accomplished in their lives. Friends, you and I need to make sure that we keep God on the throne of our lives. But what does that encounter? What does that mean to keep God on the throne of our lives? Well, I've been sharing with the young people on Wednesdays that one of the byproduct of having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ is that we will have a healthy fear of God. We will have a healthy fear of God. That means that we will respect God's authority so much that we will be motivated to obey Him. In other words, friend, if you have a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you will have a genuine fear of God, and that genuine fear of God will make sure that you obey Him. So what will it be? Who will you choose for yourself today? The false gods of this world or the one true living God of heaven? To have a healthy fear of God. That's what we need. And having this healthy fear of God benefits us in so many ways. I'd like to share some of those with you. Fearing God, first of all, helps us to modify our behavior. You know that if you don't have a fear of God, basically anything goes. If you don't have a fear of God, you can do anything you want, anytime you want. 
But a healthy fear helps us to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. So why do Christians sin then? Why do Christians disobey God? Is it because we can't help it? Is it because the temptation is too strong? No, we sin mostly because of what Romans 3.18 says. Romans 3.18 says, because there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's really why we sin. Because we don't have that kind of fear of God. But not only does a fear of God modify our behavior, fearing God also helps us to obey God even when it don't make sense. Think of it. Do you remember what God had the audacity to tell Noah to do? He said, build an ark in this here wilderness. But Noah feared God. And then he obeyed God, even when it seemed like God was out of his mind. And Hebrews eleven seven, 7, the Bible tells us that by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, get this, moved with godly fear. He moved with godly fear, and he prepared that ark for the saving of his family. Fearing God helps us to obey even when it don't make sense. But fearing God also gives us the courage to stand apart from the crowd. After Peter had denied the Lord Jesus, after he continued to follow the Lord Jesus, in the book of Acts, we learn that Peter learned a healthy fear of God. And that healthy fear of God that Peter had kept him from having an unhealthy fear of people. Get this, in Acts chapter 4, after Peter had been uh, uh, told to stop preaching about Jesus, so much so they arrested him. He said, you got to stop this preaching about Jesus. He had made a lame man to walk. And then in Acts chapter 4, and beginning in verse 8, the Bible says that then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders of Israel... If we this day are judged for what good deed was done to this helpless man by the means that he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then on down in the story, in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you fear God more than you fear people? Would you be willing to stand fearing God even in the midst of people who arrest you? Fearing God gives us the courage to stand apart. But fearing God also helps us to persevere when we feel like quitting. I want you to think of Joseph for a second. Joseph was perhaps the most mistreated, most slandered, perhaps the most hated man at one point in the Old Testament. He had every reason to quit on God. But it was his fear of God that kept him going. It was his fear of God that kept him from giving in. And he declared, I will not give in. 
because I am a God-fearing man. It helps us to persevere when we feel like quitting. But fearing God also reminds us of God's constant blessings in our life. Think of this. In Psalm 34, 9, the Word of God says, Oh, fear the Lord, all you who belong to Him. For those who fear Him have everything they need. How about that? And Proverbs 19, 23 says that the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. You fear the Lord, you'll have everything you need. And we'll be reminded of those blessings. But finally, fearing God also generates genuine worship. Seeing God as He is ought to leave us no choice but to worship Him with all of our heart, with all of our emotion, with all of our focus, with all of our ability. Because we know what He's done for us. So learning to fear God, keeping Him in His rightful place, that's the first principle we've got to apply. That's the first thing we've got to know if we're going to serve God seriously. Now, there's a second principle that you need to be aware of, and that is we need to make a lifetime commitment to serve God. Back to Joshua, in Joshua 24 and verse 14, he said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. That means serve him with all your faithfulness. And I think you would agree with me that if we need anything else in our world today, it's a return of faithfulness to the commitments we've made. We desperately need a return to faithfulness to the commitments that you and I have made. Think about this. We need a return to the commitments that we make to our spouse. We need a return to the commitments that parents make to their kids. We need a return to the commitment of government leaders, that they, ones they make to their citizens. We need a return to those commitments that employees make to employers. But more than anything else, more than any of that, we need a return of faithfulness to God. I read about a preacher who went on an overseas mission trip with a missionary. And while he was there, one of the natives of that land came up to him and asked that preacher, he said, Preacher, if the Lord gave you two houses, would you give one of them to the Lord? The preacher said, Well, of course I would. And the native continued, he said, Preacher, if the Lord gave you two million dollars, would you give one million to the Lord? The preacher said, Absolutely. And then the native asked the preacher, he said, Preacher, if the Lord gave you two cars, would you give one to the Lord? And that preacher stood there for a second and he bowed his head and he just turned and walked away. And the native said, what's up with him? And the missionary said, he actually has two cars. Friends, we need to realize that if we claim that we're yielded to God, if we claim that we have yielded our lives to Christ Jesus, we need to realize that we didn't sign some short-term temporary contract. We have made a commitment to God to serve Him wholeheartedly with all of our life 
for our entire life. I believe we need to follow the example of Jesus. Who said, for I, even the Son of Man, did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve others and be a ransom for many. But somehow we've got it all turned around backwards. So many people, you know why they come to church? Because they think they're going to get something. They come to church because they want to receive a blessing. Well, I got news for you, that's backwards. You're to come to give God a blessing, to give someone else a blessing. And in the course of that, you'll be honoring your Father in heaven. You'll be worshiping the Lord Jesus. We need a revival, friends. And it begins with you, every individual. We need a revival in our hearts that will lead us to have a life-changing fear of God. And that, in turn will encourage us to have a lifetime commitment to live for him and to serve him. Read the story of one young man who came up kind of proudly and told his pastor, he said, Pastor, God has called me into the ministry. Oh, and he was proud. He was proud of that young man. And for several months, that young man was busy doing the Lord's work. Oh, he was visiting the sick. He was leading Bible studies. He was persistently praying and so on. Then all of a sudden, the young man stopped coming to church. Pastor called him up and said, what happened? You were so busy, you were so diligent doing the Lord's work. What happened that would cause you to suddenly stop coming? And he said, well, the Lord told me to never mind. Can I tell you, friend, God don't ever say never mind. When he issued a call on your life, he will never go back on that call. You belong to him now. It is up to him. He's giving you the call. He will never change his mind considering the call of your whole life for him. So he accepted your commitment when you came to Christ. Now he expects you to fulfill it. And we do that by serving him. So if you're going to serve God seriously, you've got to keep him in his rightful place. But you also have to make a lifetime commitment to serve him. But there's a third principle for service. A third principle. We have to get rid of anything that keeps us from serving God. You see it there in verse 14? He said it twice, actually. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away. Say, put away. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And now look in verse 23. Now therefore he said, put away. Say put away. Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Friend, what have we allowed to come into our lives that is pulling us away from our commitment to serve him? What is it? Only you can answer that question for yourself. What is it? What foreign gods are we worshiping? What are we bowing down to instead of the Lord God Almighty? I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. Whatever it is, it's got to go. Did everybody hear that? Whatever it is that's keeping you from serving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your focus, with all your passion, it's got to go. 
It needs to come off the throne of your life. It needs to come out of the center point of your life. It's got to be removed from its prominent position in your life. Whatever you do, don't let worldly distractions get the best of you. Reminded me of that man who bought a brand new hunting dog. He was so excited to get that hunting dog. And the minute he got home, he wanted to take it out and see how it would perform. And so he took it out. He said, I'm going to track a bear. No sooner had they got out there in the woods and that dog picked up that trail of that old bear. And suddenly he stopped and started sniffing the ground and he headed off in a new direction. You see, he had caught the scent of a deer that had crossed that bear's path. And then a few moments later, he halted again. This time he smelled a rabbit that had crossed the deer's path. And so on and on it went until finally this breathless hunter caught up with his hunting dog only to find him barking triumphantly right down at the hole of a field mouse. Nice hunting dog. But you know, sometimes we Christians are like that. We start out keeping God in his rightful place. We start out making a lifetime commitment to him. But somehow our attention gets diverted. Somehow we get off the path. Something distracts us and takes our attention off of our goal. Something generally of lesser importance. And so one pursuit leads to another pursuit. And before we know it, we've strayed far off of the original purpose we had in serving God. Do you feel far away from where you originally started as a Christian? Have you allowed the distractions of life to keep you from serving God? Do you need to have a priority checkup? Father God, I recognize that in my own life, I need a priority checkup. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to each and every one here this morning. That they would realize that their priorities should go this way. God, marriage, children, church, job. God, marriage, children, church, job. Lord, help us to get our priorities straight and to put you on the throne of our life. In Jesus' name. So how do we get back on track? How do we get back on that bear's track? Well, you keep God in his rightful place of your life. You make a lifetime commitment to serve him. You get rid of anything that keeps you from serving God. But finally, Joshua also shows us that, that we have to serve with a threefold commitment. 
a threefold commitment. First, in verse 15, he says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, as for me, you see, he's making a personal commitment. Friend, nobody can make this commitment for you. You are the one that has to make this commitment. You are the only one who can commit your life to serving God. You may be the only one who truly knows your aunt. You may be the only one who truly knows your cousin. You may be the only one who knows if your best friend is going to heaven or not should he die on this earth today. So you may be the only one. And if you are the only one, that means you must make a personal commitment to serve God by telling them about the Lord Jesus. you got to make a personal commitment. But notice also, we must also make a family commitment. For he says, But as for me and my house, me and my household. You see, sometimes we get careless. Sometimes our, our flame grows kind of dim, and we begin to let our passion for serving Christ diminish. And you know who suffers for it? Oh, it's not you necessarily. Other people are suffering when your flame goes dim. Other people are suffering when you get careless about your service to Christ. Other people are the ones that suffer. We've got to make sure we also make not only a personal commitment, but a family commitment. Just like I said, no one can make this commitment for you. And that's true. But husbands, listen up. You do have a spiritual responsibility to lead your family to serve God. Parents have a spiritual responsibility to lead their children to serve God. You see, your kids, they hear what you say about God. Did you know that? Uh-huh. Your kids, they hear what you say about God. They hear what you don't say about God. And your kids, they, they hear what you say about church. And they also see the depth of your commitment as you serve God. They think, well, not very important to them. Why should it be important to me? I read that this may be the first generation that might not live as long as their parents. Spiritually speaking, will this be the generation that will be more or less committed to Christ by serving Him? They're going to base that on what they see in your life. What will it be? Not only must we make it a personal commitment, not only must we make a family commitment, but finally we must also have a total church commitment 
in verse 16, the people of God answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And then in verse 21, And the people of God said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then in verse 24, they said again, And God's people said to Joshua, The Lord is our God. It is Him we will serve. It is His voice we will obey. Again, you can't make this commitment for anybody else. But imagine this for one second. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing if every single person in the church stood up and with one unified voice said together, we will serve the Lord our God and Him only will we obey. If the entire church, every single one of you, stood up right now and said, we will serve the Lord our God and Him only shall we obey. If every single one of you, y'all ain't getting my hint, are you? If every single one of you stood up right now and said, We shall serve the Lord our God, and Him only shall we obey. You think I'm going to give up on this, don't you? If every single one of you stood up and with one unified voice said, we will serve the Lord our God, and Him only shall we serve. And then if they said it, without the voice of their pastor, they said, We will serve the Lord our God, and only shall we obey. I love y'all. Y'all can sit down. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. Getting back on the right track to serving God seriously. It begins by keeping God in His rightful place. It continues by making a lifetime commitment to serve Him. And it continues on from there by getting rid of anything that hinders you from serving God but also by serving God with that threefold commitment individually, in our families, and in the church. Where in the world does that kind of desire come from? That kind of desire comes from having a healthy fear of God. As you look in the mirror today, Ask yourself, do I have a healthy fear of God? A healthy fear of God that motivates me to live a life of obedience? How do I get that healthy fear of God? Where does that come from? Well, we know where it begins. It begins when we genuinely, say genuinely, 
when we genuinely place our faith and trust in Christ alone, not only for eternal life, but in this life. Do you genuinely place your faith in Him? Do you genuinely trust Him? Today you have an opportunity to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And during this invitation song, there's one verse I want you to keep in the back of your mind. And that is, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. But with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Will you let God have his will and his way in your life? What will it be? Your way or God's way? Condemnation or salvation? What will it be? You ready to serve God? You said you were. Ready to serve the Lord your God and Him only shall you obey. First step to obedience is professing your faith in the only means that He provided for your salvation. His Son, Jesus. Everything else, all of our service springs out of that profession. So again, I ask you, what will it be? Maybe you're just making the first step. Maybe you've realized, I'm not being obedient. There's another God that has come into my life. He's distracting me. He's destroying me. He's taking my eyes off of God. Maybe you've already made the first step. Your faith in Christ is real. But you just haven't been obedient to the call to serve. There are no little jobs in the kingdom of God. Every single job is equally important. So what will it be? Will you serve the Lord your God and Him only will you obey? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit of God make that decision for you. But as Alan and Chad and I were praying this morning, the Holy Spirit speaks through His Word. Do you know that? Every time. you know that? He speaks every time. He speaks to you every time. Because His Word never returns void. He speaks to you every time the Word is preached. But do you respond to what He's saying to you? So my job's done. I've spoken faithfully the Word of God. Now will you obey the Spirit of God and do what He's told you to do? Let us pray. Father, this preacher makes it sound so easy. He must not realize that I have a job. He must not realize I don't know how to teach preach, share the gospel. He must not have a clue how messy my house is. He must not have a clue 
all the things that demand my attention, how in the world would I be able to serve you, Lord? Lord, all those things are distractions. And Father, you have make, made it infinitely clear in my mind this week that I've got to get rid of some stuff. I've got to put you at your rightful place in my life. Fulfill that lifetime commitment I made to you and to get rid of anything that keeps me from keeping this threefold commitment. I'm glad it wasn't just something I said. I'm glad it's something that your word speaks of clearly. So Lord, I pray you'd have your will and your way in the hearts and minds of every one of these listeners today. I know with, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have spoken to every single one of them. Now, Lord, give them the faith to respond. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,